Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What's up, family? Your boy Dave with BWR here. Wanted to let y'all know about what we have going on April 21st. We're doing the Renaissance Mixer again. Yes, sir. We're bringing it back. Uh, last year, we tried to do this. The COVID shut us down, but we're bringing the party back. Having the Renaissance Mixer here in Dallas, we're partnering up with CK Creative Studio, a luxury Black-owned co-working space out here in the Design District to bring together entrepreneurs and professionals from all across the DFW, get us together in one room so we can start making these business connections and much more. We're going to have live music, drinks, food, and much, much more. Uh, it's going to be a great time. Tickets are only $5 for the time being, $5. So y'all make sure to hurry up, sign up. Uh, we'll see y'all there. Wednesday, April 21st at 7 p.m. CK Creative Studios. The Renaissance Mixer. It's up, baby. Peace. been thinking about starting a podcast but you don't know exactly where to get started maybe you don't know exactly what equipment you should buy or who you should go through with the hosting platforms well good news i created a course just for you it'll be showing you how to make the fewest mistakes possible on your podcasting journey it's called the podcasters playbook and it's a total master class taught by me showing you all the techniques and tricks that we use behind the scenes of the Black Wealth Renaissance podcast. Swipe up now, click the link in the show notes so you can purchase the podcast's playbook. What's up, y'all? This your boy David with Black Wealth Renaissance, and I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. Do you know the rules of the game? Yeah. Do you know the rules of the game? I don't care what color. Can you make me a hundred million? Let's talk money. Let's talk. Can you make me that? Man? If you can't make me that, I won't talk to you. Talk to you. You, you shouldn't even get this tape. I got money on my mind. Yeah. I'm just trying
gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is run money marathon. Do five years of this and be a millionaire and go on, do what I want to do, have kids, go live my chip and joy in a game's life out here in Texas or struggle for next week. The choice is yours. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to normalize black wealth and share helpful resources and tips we believe will be useful in attaining and maintaining generational wealth. Please feel free to rate and comment on our podcast. We would love to hear all feedback you have. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Your boy, David Bella, one-fourth of the Black Wealth Renaissance. Checking in my co-host, fellas. How y'all feeling? What up, what up, what up? It's your boy, Jalen, man. Another quarter of the Black Earth Renaissance. Feeling good, feeling great, man. We back at it again, man. What's good, everybody? It's your boy, Kelly, here, checking in, checking in on this lovely Saturday. Feeling good, feeling great. How you doing over there, Jared? Man, I'm chilling, man. I'm feeling good. You know, rejuvenated. Shook back a little bit. Got to sleep in today. I was just about to ask, when you off for work, man? Yeah, I'm off today. Doing pretty good. Got, got ranked pretty high for sales this past month, man. I'm excited. I'm feeling good. Hey, I'm man. ready to get into this podcast. Hey, man. Congratulations to you, my brother. Like you said, yeah, I'm ready to get in this podcast, man. We got a very, very special brother on this episode with us today. Yes, but before sir. I introduce our guest, I have to ask everybody real quick. Can y'all please like, subscribe, rate to our channel, our podcast on whatever platform you're on, uh, leave a review. Yeah, That type of stuff helps us grow. We want to make sure we spread this information to as many people as possible. Now, with that being said, guys, to introduce my guest, man, there's so much to say about this brother. So he went from the prison yard to mm-hmm. the yard in Harvard. Ended up, got a fellowship out of Harvard Law School. It then took his skills from being in the streets and started helping businesses, individuals, and everybody turn their problems into solutions mm. with his transformational programs. My man is out here helping people recondition their life after they've been in the prison system with his Academy of Hope. I got to introduce my brother, Mr. Andre Norman. Andre, how you living, bro? Hope you hit it, hit it, hit it. <laughs> side effects. Uh, it's a pleasure being here. I appreciate the invitation. Um, always willing to um, have time, man, and come share knowledge with the folks. Hey, thank hey, you appreciate so much for being here. Yes, sir. So I'll let you take yeah, it. Yeah, man. We've been having a great conversation offset, man. And we'll really just get into it. I know David just kind of, you know, glanced over your resume and stuff like that. But for the people who are not familiar with you, people who just tapping into our uh listenership and our podcast. Can you just introduce them into Andre Norm and how you got started on your journey? Okay. Name's Andre Norman from Boston, Massachusetts. Um, grew up in poverty, as we would say, as how people describe us. Dysfunction, craziness, public schools, failing out, couldn't read into the third grade. Got into the streets, tried to buy the stuff that I wanted because my family couldn't afford it. And even though I started out, my first crime was stealing candy from the corner store. Mm. And it just... Kept going to now I'm selling weed in the park to now, 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 now I'm in penitentiary um, with a ton of time. When I first get to penitentiary, it was a reunion of all my friends from the dummy class, all my friends from the principal's office, all my friends from juvie, they were all there. And they were like, yo, Dre, what took you so long? We knew you were coming. <laughs> so I got yeah. in with my homies day one. And I'm out on the bus, I used to hoop. So I'm out on the court hooping, I'm saying, having a good time. I'm with my friends. These are all my friends from like from elementary. These are all my friends from middle school and high school. These are my friends. So I'm mm-hmm. like in a good company of people. I'm just in a penitentiary. And for the first six years, 
I fed into that life. I wanted to be like them. I wanted to be ranked. I wanted status. I wanted respect. I wanted all the mythical stuff that we chase after. Mm-hmm. Then after I got it, I realized something. I'm the king of nowhere. I got all the status you can dream of. I've done all the stuff that you can think of. Now I'm the king of nowhere. And I realized that I didn't want to be the king of nowhere. So I came up with a plan that I wanted to be successful and not the king of nowhere. So I said, I need to go home and go to college. So I picked Harvard University as my destination. Taught myself to read, taught myself the law, went to anger management, went through all the stuff I had to go through, flipped one of my cases on appeal. And for the next eight years, 20 hours a day, I worked on getting out of prison. And once I got out, November 15th, 99, I went from the prison to the parole office, parole office to a youth center. I did my first session with a bunch of young black boys telling them why they were going to jail. And it was based on trauma, not based on circumstance. I started doing trauma-informed care 90 minutes after I got out. And I started working in the inner cities, doing programs, writing grants. And we raised about $25 million my first four years. We created the Violence Interrupter Model, which are ex-offenders leading the movement. We created an Office of Faith-Based Community Initiatives that we signed into law with George Bush. Uh, we, we just started creating programs. Mm-hmm. I teamed up with a bunch of people from Harvard, and they had the technical skills. I had the lived experience, and we merged them. And that merger created stuff that had never been done before mm-hmm. or packaged before. I'm saying it was always like the million-dollar mousetrap that didn't work, or this was a great way to do it, but nobody heard it. But when we merged it together, we went global. And mm-hmm. I spent the first four years with that agency. I left there and I went on my own. So I had a chance to work with Janet Reno when she was attorney general, Ted Kennedy when he was um, senator, all those folks. I moved into my own space and I started working for myself. Uh, working for other people is great, working for yourself is better. And I started working for myself and I got a contract with London Business School. So now I'm training all their people, um, Deutsche Bank, Denim Foods, Lens Construction, British Petroleum. I go down the list for hours. And I just started moving around the world. Now I'm a motivational speaker. I'm getting $10,000 a speech. I'm in Saudi Arabia. I'm in Australia. I'm in Germany. I'm all over the world just having a great time. Then somebody called me and said, hey, Dre, we need your help over here. I would go back and always go back and help people who came from where I came from. And I'll go into the cities and different places and help folks. Mm-hmm. Then I got my fellowship at Harvard Law School in 216 under Charles Ogletree. That was like, a for me, 1991, I said it. In 2016, it happened. Now, I've given multiple speeches on campus at Harvard from 2000 to 2016, but it was just a guest speaker. In 2016, when I got my email that said anorman.edu.harvard, it was over. Mm. <laughs> it was over. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And I just been, I wake up and I ask myself one question. What can I do to be helpful? Mm. That's my guiding post for the day. So when I got up this morning, I said, what can I do to be helpful? And this podcast is going to be one of them, but this won't end my day. Mm. And I go throughout my day asking myself that question. What can I do to be helpful? And it's generally to somebody else. I need to help myself. And two years ago, there was a riot in prison in South Carolina. Seven men were murdered, 30 were wounded. And the director of programs reached out to me and she asked me to come to South Carolina. I said, lady, I got a multi, I got a business and I am like in high demand. I'm in scheduled, booked all the way out through the next six months. I ain't got time. And she asked me, where's your commitment to the people? 
Mm. That's what my whole schedule. Got on a plane, took the homies. We flew to South Carolina. The entire prison system had locked out for five months. We went through 10 prisons in six days, spoke to 8,000 prisoners. And we let them all out their cells for the first time. There was no fights, no riots, no retaliation. Wow. And the director, Brian Sterling, asked, could we come back and run a program? So we came back and having been a boss myself and had bosses with me on my team, I don't surround myself with weak people. That's one of the corniest things ever, ever a bunch of yes men. And we went in there and for the last two years, we've run the Academy of Hope program that we created for South Carolina. Got all the top gang leaders, influencers, bosses we could, put them in one unit. And over the course of two years, we've had one fight. Hey. Really a COVID fight. They were arguing over some, some, something popped up over COVID. But the baseline, we went from seven murders to none. We went from fights every day to none. Man. Use the force every other minute to none. You know I'm saying because when you treat people like people, they respond mm -hmm. like people. You treat people like animals, they respond like animals. So we went in there and just talked to them like men. And we understand, I'm not here to adopt you. I can't guarantee you're going to get out. But I'm going to show you how you can be the greater version of yourself. And they, they, they accepted the challenge and they've risen to it. And two years in, they're going, I got a letter here on my desk someplace from the UN asking my guys to come to the UN and help them with, um, uh, I got it here somewhere. I'll find it before we leave here and I'll show it to you. This is from the United Nations, hmm. asking the Academy of Hope and our men to support them in teaching young people in the Middle East not to join jihadist movements and blow up stuff. Hmm. So they're not only helping with inside the prison walls make it better, they're helping the world be better. One of these young men that they're gonna convince not to join our Qaeda's group and blow up some shit might blow up the next something in the United States. That's the value that these men have. Being incarcerated, having been criminals, having been convicted does not stop their value as people. Mm. So regardless what circumstance you're in, as a person, you hold immense value. So never let your circumstance dictate your ability to impact the world. Mm. Hey. hey man, that's a powerful, powerful intro. Amen. And I jotted some stuff down there. I know for sure. I want to get into a few things. Yeah. Before we go into anything, I just kind of want to walk it back, man. Because yeah. like my brother said, that's a very powerful story. Just like, there's so much in there to go into. But I kind of want to take it back to you learning these skills that made all this possible. Mm -hmm. Because, like, you know, you said something in there where you were talking about, like, whenever you realized you were the king of nothing. But, like, you had learned all these different skills and stuff you felt like even though you were the king of nothing, you still knew a lot. You knew a bunch and you took that and turned it into this. So I kind of want to just speak to like how that process worked out, like in creating those programs and like helping you reform, like create these reform programs and turn it into like your passions into a business. What happens is the things that you've been through, if you've had a drinking problem, and you've gotten past it, you're the number one person to coach someone else with a drinking problem. Mm -hmm. If you're a lawyer, guess who you're gonna train? Future lawyers. Guess who trained police? Current police. So everybody has that person down the line in front of them. So every judge, every lawyer, every doctor, every whoever is trained by somebody who's currently in that space. Mm -hmm. So I was in the criminal justice space as a criminal. And it's a $50 billion a year prison program for the United States. The criminal justice system is $275 billion. They pour in police, courts, and prisons to manage this. And none of the people they're pouring money into have been in prison. 
Wow. But they're all governing it. The police ain't never technically committed a crime. The judge ain't committed a crime. The warden ain't committing crimes, but they're all managing people who've mm. committed crimes. They're all managing people who have a completely different mindset from them. If you drop me in the middle of Bangladesh and talking about, yo, Dre, inspire somebody, I don't know what these people have been through. I don't know what their daily life is like. So their task has never been to fix the problem. Mm. All the people that they've hired, nice people or not, have been hired to manage the problem. That's why the problem is not getting smaller, it's getting bigger and it's getting worse because none of or most of the people hired are not there to fix it. They're there to manage it. That's why shootings in Chicago are out of control. That's why shootings in New Orleans are out of control. That's why robberies and all this stuff is out of control because nobody's trying to fix the problem. They're only trying to manage the problem. Mm. That's, and that's powerful. And even on the managing the problem part, I kind of want to go a little bit further back. Whenever you said, you know, you, it felt like a reunion for you with all of your homies and everybody who was there before. And, you know, you said they were like, we knew you was coming. It was just, when was it? I wanted yeah. to know how was your mentality to them? Because you also said another thing that whenever you got out, you started teaching people, you know, it's trauma versus circumstance. So. I kind of want to talk to you about that trauma that was created for you and your peers to make you feel like, hey, jail is a place for us to thrive and actually have this type of fun. It's not so much a place to thrive. Wherever you put me, I'm going to be me. Hmm. If you put me in a prison cell, I'm still Andre. I still tell jokes. I used to rap. I used to dance. I used to hoop. So wherever you put me, you take LeBron James out of L.A., Stick him in Australia, he's going to find a basketball. Mm. Nobody's going to wonder why. You take him, you move him down to, to Argentina, he's going to find a basketball. Take Dave Chappelle, put him in North China, he's going to find a microphone, he's going to tell some jokes. That's what he does. The environment doesn't change who you are internally. Mm. You can take Minister Farrakhan and put him anywhere, and he's going to speak truth to life. That's just mm. what he does. You can take Al Shopkin and put him anywhere. He's going to bullshit somebody. Because that's just what he does. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Everybody does what they do. And that's, so you put us all in a building. I was a criminal. So you stuck me in a building with a bunch of criminals. I want to keep being a criminal. I didn't just stop. The, walking through that gate didn't change me. It just changed where I do what I do. Mm -hmm. I used to do it in the street. Now I do it behind the wall. So after those six years, what was that thing that clicked in your head that made you say, you know what? I'm not a criminal. Like my life is greater than that. So what, what, what made you say, okay, I want to be a better version of myself. My goal was to be the number one gangster in the system. That was my goal. And I was fighting and stabbing and fighting and riots on airplanes. I've been shipped to nine different States. I've been all, I've been through it. So I went from the state system, she put me in the federal system nine different penitentiaries in the feds, sent me back to the state, caused some more cases. They put me in county jails. I've been all over the, I've been over the map. I'd have been tortured, chained to beds, chained to floors, forced, medicated. I'd have been there, done that. Strapped up, knives in my hand, fighting, done, you name it and done. Years, years in basement cells with no sunlight, locked in the cell. I've been left not fed for four days. I'm not crying. This is the life that I subscribe to. This is the life I signed up for. And it was all in quest to become that number one guy. 
Mm. But when I got to the threshold where I had the opportunity to, in theory, become this mythical number one guy, because it's all fake, but in my mind, it's real. I saw it for what it was. It's like, it's like the Wizard of Oz. Dorothy and her team land in Oz, and they're marching down the road. And they finally get to Oz, they pull the curtain back, and they see it's all fake. But mind you, even though they saw it's all fake, everybody else in Oz is chill. Everybody in Oz is okay. There's nobody in Oz upset about being in Oz. They accepted it living in the middle of a fantasy. Dorothy thought that she can get to the end and get out of fantasy. Then she realized it was she couldn't. It, that wasn't the way. I'm in this fantasy world of masculinity and toughness and gangsterism, all this stuff that they gave us. When I got to my end of the road and I pulled a curtain back and it was my turn to jump into the wizard's chair, I saw it for what it was. It was all fake. Mm. Now, there's money attached, yes. There's status attached, yes. But it's a fake world, dude. We're locked in cages. We're kept without sunlight, away from our families, away from popularity. Every, we have nothing. We're in complete control. And I said to myself, Dre, if you the boss, let yourself out of here. Mm. If you the boss, for real, for real, let yourself out. That's, That's it. what you truly want. And I got this little CO with 150 pounds that I bully every day. I got the other COs that I be bullying every day. I said, man, they go home every day, though. Yeah, you you chump him, disrespect him, make him do things, but he go home at the end of the day. Mm. So whatever I think of him is irrelevant. He gets to go home. So who's really the boss? Mm. I said, dude, if you the boss, let yourself out. And I'll say this to any dude in the penitentiary across the world. If you the boss, let yourself out. And when you can't do that one thing, then I, that tells you you're not truly the boss. You're just managing a space that they left you in. You don't really want to be it. You've convinced yourself, like the rest of the people in Oz, that I'm going to make the best of a bad situation. Hmm. That's powerful. That's really powerful that that was the thinking that had you, okay, man, I didn't done all of this mm-hmm. shit. I didn't done everything that I thought I had to do to really become that dude, that number one person. But once you got there and you knew that I can't control whether I leave this fence or not, this don't mean shit. It's like you said earlier, it, it, almost the whole system is like people managing the problem versus trying to actually fix the problem. And that's, I'm glad that's where you came in with what you do. So with that process of you, like after you realized it, how did you begin that process of like educating yourself and like changing, changing your daily habits? First thing, I didn't change my habits. My habits were fine. What I was spending my time was a problem. I mean, I'm, I'm intelligent, I'm insightful, I'm resourceful, I'm dedicated, I put in hours. That's all good. I just need to put it towards something else. Mm. So my thing was, I had to tell myself the truth because I've been lying to myself that I was winning. You come see me in the penitentiary, how you doing? I'm doing good, I got this. Never once did I say I shouldn't be here, I don't wanna be here, this sucks. I thought I was doing good. My mother came to see me one time, I'm talking about all this madness and she's like, I done lost my son because he didn't, I didn't 100% bought into this world. And I'm not talking about the trumpet. I'm not talking about my siblings. I'm not, I'm talking about hustling. I'm talking about status. She looked at me like, I didn't lost my mind. I'm locked in a cell 24 hours a day and only come out with handcuffs and waist chains on. I take a shower three times a week, no sunlight. And I thought I was winning because I controlled some dope. I thought I was winning because I controlled some soldiers. I thought I was winning because I could chump 
the CEO that goes home every day. And I had convinced myself that I was winning. You could not tell me I wasn't winning. Hush probably thought he was winning today, ran up on his ass last week. <laughs> you could not convince him he wasn't winning, and he was. Mm. But the baseline was, I thought I was winning, and I told myself the lie I needed to tell myself to stay mentally awake. If I told myself the truth, I'd have broke down sooner, which would have led to a, a transformation sooner. I had to tell myself the truth. I'm black. I'm uneducated. I'm a high school dropout. My family's dysfunctional. We really don't have real money. I'm technically homeless. I don't have a house or a lease. And I just went down a list of things that I am. I got anger problems. I got violent problems. I don't listen. You're saying I'm a bully. I just listed it all. Damn. And I listed it all. I could hang it on my wall and say, that's the stuff I need to fix. Mm. I started putting my energy towards, well, what can I fix? Then I put that, who I was, in correlation to my goal, going to Harvard. So I said, now, what on that list is acceptable for Harvard? Mm. What do I need to change and fix to be able to be accepted into that space? Then I started working on that list every single day. I got my GED. I went to anger management. Then I went to the law library. I started going to self-help groups. I started going to this group, and I started going to this group, and I went to that. Everything I could do to change that list that I had. I couldn't change the perception people had of me. That don't matter. But I could change what was really on that list, and mm. I did. Then when I showed up to Harvard, I was received because they saw the man that I was, not the man that I used to be. Mm. And the first agreement mm. I had at Harvard, I didn't stab anybody. I didn't punk nobody. Like, yo, we can take this outside. No, we can take this to the whiteboard. <laughs> so let's go to the whiteboard and see who can really figure this out versus yo let's do these that's this is all based on these that's easy that's the easy part it's easy but it's not a win what are you really winning so my new thing is in every house i got you see them i got two whiteboards over there mm -hmm. let's take it to the whiteboard mm -hmm. let's, let's take it to the whiteboard i ain't taking to the yard and smashing you i ain't striving up trying to kill you i'll kill your ideas i'll kill your philosophy I'll shred anything you put on me and saying on that board. Mm. That's changed it all. Like you said, you became something that you transformed. You transformed through your actions, man. That's powerful, bro. Like made me think about just even we talk about finances all the time, like in budgeting, and it's almost the same type of process. It's just you did it with your time. You it was a at, personal thing too. Mm -hmm. Like looking at how what I'm doing and how my character traits are and Saying that, I just think that's so powerful because like people always feel trapped in their situation. But what you did is how you get out. You had to realize that a lot of my situation was, like you said, it was all on me. It was self-awareness. You buy into your situation and you perpetuate your situation. So if you're in a job that you hate, understand that. You work at this place and you hate it. And you spend all your day hating the job and telling your friends how you hate the job. That's time consuming. Instead of hating the job and saying, okay, I hate my job, this is why. It doesn't pay me enough, doesn't give me enough status, don't get enough free time, I'm gonna smell this troll, I don't get credit, they own my IP, why do you hate your job? Then where do I wanna be? Because if you get that dream job, you're bringing that hateful person with you. Mm -hmm. And you're gonna get fired. I could, it wasn't about just arriving physically in Harvard, I had to arrive physically, mentally, spiritually ready to perform. A lot of people think if you just put me there, I'll be okay. No. You gotta have it all, it's all gotta be aligned. I ask people all the time, there were male and females I do counseling. You say, I want my, I can't find the best guy. I can't find the best girl. 
I said, if I gave you your dream person right now, if I could draft up your dream person, you write out what your dream person is. If they wrote their list out, would you be on their list? Mm. You're so focused on what's on your list. I want her to, she needs to be five, seven. She needs to be brown skin. She's big size. Needs to be this. Needs to be a lawyer. If she wrote her list out, would you be on? Mm. Mm. So I don't know. <laughs> you can write to her. Don't want to act right. No, you ain't acting. You got to be what's on her list as well as what she's on, what's on your list. Stop being one-sided. You mm. want the dream job, but you don't want to be the dream person. You want to be the dream CEO, but you don't want to be the dream hard-working person. It's mm. just what you want, not what you're willing to give. Life gives to the giver. Mm. You talked about uh, talked about going to the law library, and you said you studied for eight years to get yourself out. Can you talk about that process? Yeah, that's what I wanted to get into, Kelly. Most people are arrested tried and convicted, and most of us plead guilty. I, I went to trial on some of my cases. And the ones I went to trial on, this is the thing about criminal justice. At trial, when you're arrested, when they arrest you, it depends if they like you or not. The cop decides if he's actually gonna arrest you or not. And we mm -hmm. know white kids or other kids get breaks that we don't. So if you even get arrested, it's dependent upon the cop. Then once you're arrested, what he actually charges you with is now we look at the capital situation. These people are being charged with trespassing. If the five of us had went into that capital and somebody died, mm -hmm. you got a rule in South Carolina called the hand to one, the hand to all, or joint venture. What one did, you all did. But all of a sudden, the hand to one, hand to all doesn't apply in a capital rate. Mm -hmm. It's in the, we're looking at the most serious offenders. Now, every time I seen a raid, the police surround the building and they lock up everybody inside. Hell yeah. So these people ran into the Capitol. What they, by my understanding of the law that I experienced in my neighborhoods, when they come to that, the stormtroopers should have covered the back door, the front door, and every single person in that building, including the reporters, because you don't have the right to break into a house because you're doing news, should have been in handcuffs. Mm -hmm. Then you can sort the rest out later. You should not have to go look for anybody. This is simple. The law says whoever crossed the threshold of the Capitol is out of bounds, period. Once you cross through that door, if you was on the front steps, you're good. Mm. Once you cross through that threshold, you are officially trespassing, broken entering, whatever you want to call it, and you are subject to whatever happens in there. You are part of the mob. What one does, they all do. But when it came to them, the law applied them. Not one person I can think of was arrested in the building. Nope. We're all ushered back out. Now they're on TV looking for the more serious ones versus the law says whoever walked through that door is out of bounds. That's how they apply to us. Mm -hmm. So who gets arrested is the first thing. If you get arrested, then when you do get arrested, what do they charge you with? Everybody should be, now I'm not advocating, but by law, they should all be charged with felony murder. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Joint venture. You're getting trespassing. You're getting this. They're handpicking cases for people. With us, everybody gets a RICO until somebody starts telling. How do you think they get people to tell? Touch everybody with a million years. If I knew as the front dude on the corner, I'm facing six months, I'm good. 
When you tell that little dude who ain't got nothing, he's going to get 100 years, he starts telling. Mm-hmm. That's how that works. The boss is like, Rico, everybody's going down in smoke. So how they charge you is different. Now, once you get to court, this is the thing about court. It's not who did it, it's who can tell the best lie. Mm. Whoever can tell the best lie at trial wins. It's not about guilt, it's who can tell the best lie. And on appeal, it's not about did you do it, it's about did they tell the best lie and follow the rules. Mm. That's criminal justice. From the time on the corner, the cop that picks you up, to to the district attorney that charges you, to the trial hearing, to appeal. It's never really about, did you do it? Mm. It's about, did they believe you did it? Can they prove that you did it? How many people have you seen in the last five years released from prison? Oh, you didn't do it 37 years later. Oop, you didn't do it 10 years later. Oops, you didn't do it. So that means at trial- They knew that shit. Even if they didn't know, it's always, I'm not gonna say they knew, at trials, who can tell the best lie? Because if you got a hundred people released in the last five years who didn't do it, then evidently you got that shit wrong at trial, but you still convinced them. So whoever can tell the best lie at trial wins. Hmm. Then when you get to appeal, the question is, did you tell the lie properly? Did you follow the procedures properly to tell the best lie? And oftentimes a district attorney or a judge or a DA or a cop or somebody will do something human, which is called make a mistake. Mm-hmm. The question is, can you find the mistake that that human made in your scenario? Did they not show your picture right? Did they not, did they not do this? Did they not do that? Did they not do this? They look for that. OJ, who can tell the best lie? Mm-hmm. The glove don't fit, you must acquit. Who can tell the best lie? So how, what about did you do it? How did you apply that to your scenario, my brother? I went to court on mine and my case was overturned based on double jeopardy because I did my crime. I was charged with armed carjacking. That's what my charge was. So in one county, when I, I went to a county and I took a car from somebody by force, took the car, boom, I take off. I get arrested in another county days later. When they catch me in the other county, they charge me with possession of a stolen car because that's all I got to them. When they send my picture to where the car came from, they said, oh my God, he took the car by force with a gun. So they charged with armed robbery. So in one county is armed robbery, one county is loss of a motor vehicle, but I stole the same object. So mm. I was going back and forth for both. I pled guilty to the lesser one because my girl was in the car. So I took the guilty to, so she could walk. It was nothing. Then I got found guilty at trial later. So on appeal, they said, you convicted him twice for selling the same object. So the second case got thrown out. Now, mind you, I went to my lawyer as naive as I was, as illiterate as I was, at two pieces of paper. I went to my lawyer, I said, yo, lawyer, this one says I stole a 1985 Honda. This one says I did an armed robbery and I stole a 1985 Honda. Is this double jeopardy? And he told me no. What? He told me no. So I ain't say nothing. Fast forward, when I went up on appeal, guess what it was? Double Double jeopardy. That lawyer, when I was home like four years ago, he sent me an email, reached out, yo, Dre, I want to apologize to you. I know I did you dirty. Come on. That was basics. That was basics. My lawyer should have said, let's plead guilty in the lower court. He should have went to trial court and said, you got no jurisdiction. And I would have walked out with a six-month probation. I should have walked out with six months probation. Mm. But my lawyer was like, nah. My lawyer. 
But the key word is he's a public defender. They don't see us as a public. Mm. They figure that you're the criminal and they're protecting you from the public. They're protecting the public from you. My lawyer, I showed it to him, two pieces of paper. It said, I'm robbery, it said lost. And I said, dude, is this double jeopardy? He looked me right in my face and said, no. Yes. That's crazy. So it took you eight years to find the mistakes that the human made. I found a mistake when I was in the county. I just know when I got to the prison system, I didn't go to the law library. I went to the yard. You I went to the pile. I went to the track. I started teaming up. I'm bidding. There's so many people who go to court because we're not academics. We're not really educational inclined. They go down and sit down and have the discipline of reading law books for hours and hours and hours just isn't built into us. So I'm not an avid reader. I'm not an avid student. So now you want me to sit in this law library and read all this crazy wording on stuff that I don't understand. So I'm just gonna go to y'all and hang out with my fellas. But when I turned my attitude around, I realized to get out of jail, I need to sit there. And by then I had sat like three years in solitary, so I learned how to sit still. <laughs> so it's low key, uh, it's low key a blessing and a curse that that mistake happened. Because do you think that if you would have got out in those six months, you'd have probably been doing the same shit and wind oh, up? Yeah. If I'd been on the street during the crack era, I'd either been dead. <laughs> I'd have got a hundred years of being a crack kingpin or killing somebody for being a crack kingpin or something. And had I stayed out, this un- I hadn't changed who I was or what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I would have kept doing the same thing. So there's no question, had I been released earlier or not sent at that time, I was on that track. And those of us who are in the streets, we just keep catching cases until they stop, do they give us that bid? It, I mean, you go ask anybody, catch this case, they go right back out, this case, go right back out, this case, go right back out. Until something changes, you will do the same thing. Mm. So I would have undoubtedly done the same thing. Mm. Man, Andre, man, you, you got me thinking about a lot with this, man. So with this, after you got out of your situation, you were able to get out of your own situation through your studies. When did you get into the the raising? The, I remember you mentioned you raised twenty five million for a program with Harvard. When we came home, I came home in nineteen ninety nine. About four months later, I got hired by a nonprofit, and the nonprofit was one of the they did gang stuff. But I was like a top gang leader, so I could actually bridge arguments and mediate problems that other people couldn't. And I had access to people behind the walls who trusted and respected me, so mm-hmm. I could actually mediate stuff in a way that other people couldn't. Then when I got my staff together, I got 15 real dudes. And I don't know make-believe porch monkey who's saying this, yes, sir. I got real dudes. I went around the city and got bosses. More parts that said, yo, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to hold this down. Now, we didn't do it for the money, but I understand money. There's $275 billion being spent for this issue. The police department, believe it or not, gets the majority of the money for youth programs. The same person who's in charge of locking you up is in charge of getting the money for the youth programs. Because what happens is when money comes into the city, here's a hundred million dollars, mayor, who in your staff, who in your divisions handle you? The police department. That's who, so you send them the hundred million dollars. You don't send it to the boys club, the YMCA, the nonprofits, the mom on the corner who's helping people out. As the mayor, when you get a hundred million or 20 million or 50 million or $20, who in your sphere handles you? The police department. So you shifted to them. So now you have the same entity who's trying to lock you up, trying to help you. And I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's really challenging. Mm-hmm. 
it's extremely challenging. So as a government agency, you're being tasked to go with your people. So when we came, we said, oh, we got a whole nother platform. Your people aren't the people. We're the people. So the question is, I ask people, do you want to manage the problem or do you want to fix the problem? And I ask them all the time, if, especially white folks, if, if Al-Qaeda group kidnapped you and held you hostage in the Middle East someplace in a basement, how many years would you need to be in captivity before you trusted them? They said, never. I said, so when do you think criminals are going to start trusting you? Mm. Mm. Message. Mm. So it's, it's not even about right or wrong if Al-Qaeda believes that they caught you justfully and that you're violating their whatever. How many years in captivity before you start trusting Al-Qaeda? Never. So how many years in captivity before we start trusting the people who held us hostage? Never. Not. And that's where we are. So you can't fix the problem. Because, because it's causing the problem. There's no trust. Hmm. And I kind of want to talk to that now. After you know, you know, you made your transformation and stuff, you got your uh, guys together. Like, how was it you going back and telling people, you know, like, hey, man, the life that we live in, this ain't the life. This is not it. How do you transform the minds of people who hadn't seen the light yet, who hadn't got to that realization that you got to, man, I'm not the boss because I can't let myself out of here? Two things. People respect money. They respect things done. So when we were kids, we saw the guy with the shiny car or the girls, and he had results. So we wanted his results. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't want the results of the guy who goes to work every day and takes the bus, carrying the lunch pail. That ain't results. We see the guy with the money. We see the NBA players with the money. We see the football players and the rappers with the status, and their results make us want to be them. So when I show up, it's not just, yo, man, your life sucks. Does LeBron James really need to sell basketball? No. It sells itself. For him, he's like, yeah, man, I make $80 million a year. You want to try this? Yeah. <laughs> so Rich Paul, his agent, he probably makes $30 million a year. You want, he can be, you want to be an agent? Yeah. So when I come back, it's not your life is stupid or you're out of bounds. Hey, this is an option. I'm doing real numbers. I'm not only am I doing good work for our people, but I'm doing real numbers. I'm pushing real whips. I'm flying around the world. Yo, look at me in Italy. Yo, yo, look at me in France. Yo, look at me over here. I got floor seats to the Laker game. I got floor seats to the Mavs. I'm on a 50-yard line. At the, I'm, living, I'm not giving up. I'm not saying, hey, quit your life and go be a nine-to-five guy and be bored. Mm-hmm. I'm having a hell of a good time. And you helping people. I do. I help people. I make money. And I travel the world. I don't apologize. That's all right. But I do also want to ask a question with that. For somebody who might be listening, who actually like wants to try to make a difference or wants to try to help people, can you speak a little bit to that nonprofit process or like how did you go into the formation of doing that so that you could, you know, facilitate you having these guys together and getting everybody paid and still having that ability to travel and all the rest of that? Okay, well, my first nonprofit, when I came in, I knew nothing about the nonprofit world. I knew I had a talent, which was engaging with criminal people because I understood the life. So when you go back and you look at sports, most athletes don't understand their talent beyond the field, beyond the court. So how do you make money 
outside of that. Like Master P revolutionized music, not just because he sold records, but he ran the business. He understood the business side of it. So I started learning. So during my off times, I sat with the secretary and she taught me how to answer phones. I sat with the accountant. He taught me income, I mean, accounts payable, accounts receivable. I sat with the director. He taught me about hiring and firing people. The most important thing you ever do, Dre, the most important decision is who you hire because they represent you and you can't take it back. Mm -hmm. And I started sitting with all the different people who taught me the aspects of running a nonprofit. Just because you're LeBron James doesn't mean you know how to run a basketball team. You know how to play on a basketball team, but running a tickets, seats, cleaning, mm -hmm. licensing, insurances, there's a lot more than just drilling the ball. So running a team is different than being on the team. So I learned running the nonprofit. Then once I learned how to run the nonprofit, I know how all the pieces move, then you couldn't jerk me. Mm -hmm. That's what happens. You come in the talented guy and they use you until they don't need you. Then they slide you out the door. You never see it coming. They just want to suck up your intellectual property. Hey, Dre, how would you fix this? Hey, Dre, how do you see that? Hey, Dre, how does this work? And you just run in your mouth. Mm. But I got to learn the business. And luckily for me, my first mentor taught me the business. Harvard University had created a program based on a black encyclopedia created by um, Henry Louis Gates. And they had an after-school program that was based on that, and it was going great, and then it fell apart. And in the end, they brought me to Harvard. Me and my boss went to Harvard to a meeting to talk about this program. We get there as a dinner. We go inside. All the people are there. And they tell us the problem, that they had the program. The kids were coming, cycle one, cycle two, cycle three, cycle four, everybody disappeared. And they brought in this guy from Sweden. They brought in this guy from Japan. They brought in this guy from Texas. And they can't figure out what the problem is. And I asked him after the third, I said, well, what did the kids say? No, 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 no. We brought the guy in from Japan. I said, no, I heard that part. What did the kids say? No, no, we brought the guy in from there. I said, no, no, I heard that part. Did, who asked the kids why they stopped coming? And it took me about five times of saying it. Then the light bulb went off like, oh, we just need to interview the kids because they're the source and they're the reason. But They ushered me right out there. Oh, the meeting's over. Shuffed me and my man out the door. The meeting was over, only me and my man left. We get outside, my boss turns to me. He says, Dre, give me 200,000. I said, man, you ain't got no 200,000. He said, man, give me 200,000. I said, I got 200. He said, that's the, how much you gave them an information just now. They've already spent a half a million dollars trying to fix this program. You fix it in 10 minutes for some food you don't even like. Ooh. You just gave them $200,000 worth of information. Had they had to pay for that, it'd been a minimum of $200,000 to an expert to fix that problem for them. And that's when I started understanding the value of information. Mm. Because the information I gave them redirected an entire program and they had to pay experts 200,000 for the same information they got me for free. So now mm. I go to these multi-billion dollar companies who have problems and I understand the value of my information. Mm. If not just what am I doing, but what am I impacting? What are we talking about? I got a company right now worth $2 billion and I can't do that part. So this is the chart they gave me. It's like $853 million. I'm reviewing their program. So they made $853 million last year. Dre, here's our program. Look through it. Tell us what the problem is. Tell us how to go forward. Mm. Now, I understand you had a company that produces $853 million a year in profit. And you need to get it to like $2.1 And I created the system, this part, 
this is a system that they're running it on. I created this. And I, so they're like, Dre, okay, now help us get over the hump. Let's go. I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to take a $2 billion company and sell it for $4 billion. Based, and my part is to help you. I'm not the whole solution, but I'm going to be a cog in a wheel to make that happen. I understand the value of my information. Mm. So many people don't appreciate and understand the value that they don't know what to do with it. And then there's always a person, I remember people used to write raps. They got all these raps and they would never let them out. Can't let me hear they're gonna steal my stuff. Then they know trap music came out, your shit's garbage. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You got all these raps, you hold a book, and something else come out, your shit's useless. Don't be scared of people stealing your stuff. Mm. Gonna get stolen, how the world works. So when I started early on, understanding the value of my insights, the fact that I didn't have a degree, the fact that I don't, I don't, I don't is irrelevant. Can you fix this problem? All businesses want to know is, can you fix my problem? Mm-hmm. Not where's your degree from? You can get a guy from Harvard who can't fix it. You can get a guy from, from community college who can. Who do you hire? The guy that can fix it. I'm the guy who can. Mm. That's I'm what not you diminishing educational degrees. I'm just saying people want the person who can fix it. Now, if it's a guy who can fix it from Harvard, the guy who can fix it from community college, you take the Harvard guy. Simple like that. Yeah. Like with that, so to a person who might have the skill set, but they don't have the proof behind them that I can fix it. How do you go about showing, you know, hey, I'm the best guy for this candidate for this position. I just don't have it behind my name. What you have to do is get in and get some, uh, my coach, Kendall Flickman, I used to work with Kendall. He said, get small wins. So you might not start off with a $2 billion company, but you have $2 billion concepts. You might have to start off with a smaller company. You might have to start off with a company such as yours. Like, y'all are trying to get off the ground right now. So mm-hmm. I might say, okay, do Okay, I want to be a manager. I want to be a whatever. I would come to you and say, listen, I'm going to do this work for you and take your podcast and help you become here with it. You say it help you grow it. Then I can say, look what I did. When I first started out, people weren't paying me for my ideas. Mm-hmm. But I can go back and say, I can tell that story. Go get Henry Louis Gates. I can use his name. I can use his program because I, I came with that information and nobody can take it from me. Mm-hmm. I have to exaggerate it, blow it up. And I've worked with many institutions that I can, City of Boston, Boston Police, Boston Public Schools, Boston College, MIT. I taught at Tufts University. I weren't getting paid millions and millions of dollars, but I'm building a resume. Mm. Nobody gets paid for college in theory. You go AAU ball, they don't pay you. You play college ball, they don't pay you. You don't get paid to get, the, and that's your resume for when you get to the league. Mm. Gotta put that sweat equity in. If you believe you have the concepts and the insights and the structure and the systems and the mindset, then you have to go find some places that you can prove that your systems work. So the state of South Carolina just hired me and extended my contract. I've been there for two years. They extended it for another year. Not because my shit works. Mm. And yeah, this is for Academy of Hope, correct? Academy of Hope just got extended as my third year in South Carolina. Can we can we speak just a little bit more about Academy of Hope for people? Because man, that's a dope program. Like I love everything you're doing right now, man. It's like you're really helping transform not only like businesses. I guess even before that, before going into that, I do have a question for you. So do you feel like the knowledge and skill set, your unique skill set from your background play into 
the reason that some of your solutions and systems work for like these billion dollar corporations? This is where I got my solution system from. I'm in solitary confinement. Now I believe if you're good at creating plans, you're good at creating plans. If I was a musician, I learned how to play a trumpet in jail. I was just gifted. I just didn't figure it out until I got to jail. So it's not where you learn it, it's that you learn it. Mm. So I'm in prison. I'm in solitary confinement, 24 hours a day, seven days a week in the basement. There was a guy next door to me named Junior Chung. Junior Chung was doing a double life sentence. He was heavily medicated because he had like emotional outbursts, like he'd hurt people. So he was by law mandated to take medicine. And if he didn't take it, they'd force medicate him. He yeah. had to take his meds to keep him calm. And I'm sitting next door to Junior. And I'm in the cell 24 hours a day with nothing. I get a newspaper. First, I read the paper. I read the sports. Then read the bang news. I got to the point I read the whole paper five times. Then I started going through the paper and said, OK, because I'm down here for the next two and a half years. I'm not going anywhere. Shit. I started got to the point where I would read the newspaper and I'd see a problem. Um, such and such in the south side of Boston is messed up, or this is messed up. I said, well, how would I solve that? I just took the newspaper, which I might have for three weeks at a time, because that's all I would get. I get hold of a newspaper and I got to the point I started solving the problems in the newspaper. And I'd solve the problem, then I'd run it by Junior Chung. When I could explain it to Junior and he could understand it and have a conversation with me and articulate it back, I knew I had a win. Mm. Stop trying to run your problems by smart people. They're gonna get it instantly. If you run the problem, I get it. I do deep thinking. So I can fill in the blanks. I got a dude who's on psych meds. When he can get it, I got a win. Mm, that's powerful, though. So I started running all, I mean, Junior would talk as long as he was lucid, and I'd run my stuff by him. And when he got stuck on something, then I'd change it until he could just get it. Mm. And I knew I had a win. And I decided that's how I spent most of my time talking to Junior. And he would just, yeah, yeah, yeah. We go deep on the subject matter, but I started with the newspaper. Solving problems in the newspaper mm. around the city. Started where you at with what you had. That's all I had. I might get a newspaper, might have it for three weeks before I get the next one. Have you been thinking about starting a podcast, but you don't know exactly where to get started? Maybe you don't know exactly what equipment you should buy or who you should go through with the hosting platforms. Well, good news. I created a course just for you. It'll be showing you how to make the fewest mistakes possible on your podcasting journey. It's called the Podcasters Playbook, and it's a total masterclass taught by me, showing you all the techniques and tricks that we use behind the scenes of the Black Wealth Renaissance podcast. Swipe up now. Click the link in the show notes so you can purchase the podcast's playbook. And I think this is a great segue for going in because we're talking about Academy of Hope, just going into with what you're doing with prison reform and the way that you looked at that problem. How did you look at, okay, this is the problem and this is the way that we solve this problem? Prison reform comes back to how do you, again, is managing these two things. How people got to jail, which is a distinctly another discussion. Then there's people who are in jail that needs help on how to not come back. So I'm focusing in right now, most people can't separate the two. They mm. get stuck, they merge them and they'll never get anywhere. Because it's like church. I work with churches. There's saving souls and there's making money. Gotta separate the conversations. Mm. 
When you merge them, it goes back. So in prison, this is why they came, then it's helping them go home better. So when I get into helping them go home better part, I'm not dealing with the why they came. So let's help them go home better is step one, separating the emotional part from the technical part. And then having sat in these cells, having, I know what it's like to be in prison. I know what it's like to be left out, to be feeling less than. I know all the emotions that go with being in prison. And if I ask you, what do you think the most important part of the day is in prison? The most emotionally draining and the most important part of the day is? Going on the yard. Going on, that's yours. I got three more coming. Mine's would probably be like, whenever they lock the cells, whenever you can't. Yeah. I mean, I, got, I, see, I see one more person. I got two out of three, come on. I guess would be the morning, just waking up and just being like, yeah, damn, no. I'm still here. The most depressing or emotional part of the day is mail call. Mm. When that man, the CEO comes down the hallway and he comes on every range where he has a whole basket full of mail. When he walks by your cell and he does not stop, what that says is nobody in the world is thinking about you today. Damn. You don't matter. Mm. To the world, you don't matter. And you're sitting in your cell, I don't care if you got a big TV, small TV, 100 pairs of sneakers, knives, guns, and the rest. He just walked by you and him not stopping signifies that the world says you don't matter. And that hurts. And that's six days a week. You keep getting punched in the stomach saying the world says you don't matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you tough in here, mom. You tough guy in here, but nobody in the world cares about you. Enough to sit down and send you a letter, a card, anything. And it's emotionally hurtful to have him walk by and not stop. And sometimes he'll walk by and pause and he know he ain't got no damn mail. He'll look up, oh, not my fault, keep going. Oh, damn, man. that's some whole shit. He just wanted to just choke him. But you can't because it's you. So whoever you think you've made yourself into, you're not. The world said that you don't matter. Damn. And that hurts. That So when I design my programs, it's based on real life. I'm going to make sure that we account for that 4 o'clock mail call hurt that you got to deal with. We got to offset that. Then we got to deal with the locking down, safety on the yard. But there's some real psychological issues that impact people that unless you've been back there, you won't even understand. Mm. So can you, can you speak to a little bit more of those that we wouldn't understand? I know you said one of them is mail call. And I'm just asking because we might have a listener who might be going through a situation and they somehow listening to this podcast in jail. Well, <laughs> well they can't write themselves a letter. <laughs> that don't work so if you have a loved one in jail wearing a technology we didn't mail was huge in the 80s and 90s before in internet now everybody emails and texts and zooms and whatever they do so there's probably even less mail coming inside because it's such a thing everybody wrote letters of some sort or some fashion e your bills you gotta go mail your mail your check-in for the light bill mail thing for the cable now everything's right here mm-hmm. everything's right here so the buyer, who buys stamps anymore? Not really Never, nobody. They always ask me at the post office, be like, what, what do I need that for? Exactly. So people in jail, you have to actually buy stamps, buy envelopes, and then mail it in. Damn. That's a lot. Where it was a daily part of your, your, your currency back in, back in the days, it was just part of the day. You went to the mailbox a couple of times a week. Now, nobody goes to the mailbox. Only to come to the mailbox is circulars. Yeah. Oh, like important. Once a week by accident. I go in my mailbox on trash day. 
I was just about to say that too. Throw stuff away. <laughs> I go out there, I put the trash out, I go in the mailbox, and 80% of what's in my mailbox goes right in the trash can. Damn. Half of it ain't nothing important anyway. You're right. Yeah. So if you have a loved one in jail and you try to encourage and inspire them to do and be better, those letters matter. Those letters, are, I used to get letters, I put it on my bed, I look at it, I look at the stamp. I mean, it was, an, it was you're in your cell, it's like an ordeal, man. It's like, yo, somebody, and it wasn't just rip it open and read it. It was like, yeah, you had to appreciate it. Mm-hmm. So it was like this whole big thing. It's like Christmas time. And you think you got the gift that you want. You just want to look at it first. And that's serious. So there's that. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Then it's holidays. Then it's people's birthdays. I'm saying it's things that are happening in the world that you can't be a part of. I got nieces and nephews. I'm not an uncle. I'm the guy in the picture on the wall. Mm. So when I talk to my nieces and nephews, I have no validity in my conversation because I'm not there. I've been there since they've been born. So dealing with that, the loss, the I'm saying they're not being able to be there. You have to tell yourself, well, they're better off without me. And that's a whole psychological trip you're taking yourself on it. It's not good. It's not healthy. So the things that happen in general, the average person in jail lives in fear. There's only so many bosses. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you say. There's only so many bosses, and whoever's not a boss or a top soldier is living in fear of those people. So every day you wake up, are they going to rob me? Are they going to rape me? Are they going to beat me? Are they going to bully me? Are they going to take my stuff? To live like that for 10 years is hurtful and damaging. For 10 years, okay, you're not a boss, you're not in the gang, but the gang might rob you, rape you, beat you, stop you, whatever. So every day you want it, it's today my day. It's today my day. It's today my day. That's a tough way to do 10 years. Wondering is today your day. That does something to your psyche, to your spirit, to your person. Nothing happens to you, per se. You get out, but you lived under extreme stress and fear for 10 years. Now that's ingrained into you. Yeah, now you're trying to bounce back. But for 10 years, you woke up every day, spared for your life and for your safety. And now, and on top of that, when you come back, the world completely different. And now, now you're living in fear then. Everybody says, oh, my God, you survived 10 years in the max. You're the man. You're not going to tell them that I was scared. I was scared of death for 10 years. Nobody's going to tell them that. Oh, I'm one of the guys got raped for 10 years. I'm one of the guys got bullied for 10 years. You, everybody walks out with this blanket of you're a tough guy now because you did 10 years in prison. And that's not the truth. It's not. 90% of people live in fear. 90. Well, something's going to happen to you or you're going to get sent on a mission where you get stuck back there for extra time. Shit. 
So understanding the psychological triggers and damage that happen is important when you design a program. Mm-hmm. It's not just you design it, here's something that looks good on paper. How does it fly in the life of the person that you're trying to impact? So when I go into prisons, I understand the person's emotional status and status and where they are and could be and design stuff based on those factors mm. and help them move forward. That's what the Academy of Hope is about, speaking to men like men and in real time. Mm. We had a gentleman in one of our programs, we're in the group, and he, he's a tough dude. He didn't beat up too many people to count. And that's why I recruited him for the program. And he was explaining why he needed to beat people up. And it was based on his father told him, somebody hit you, you hit him back. And you hit him, you hit him right. I got taught the same thing. And he explained it. He told himself, people respected it because he was a winner. He was nice with these. I turned to him, I said, bro. He said, what's up? I said, your father was wrong. He said, what you say? I said, your father was wrong. Your father was wrong. My father was wrong. Whoever else's father gave that information was wrong. It hasn't worked for you. It didn't work for me. Mm. But it made sense to us because of who taught it to us. But they taught us wrong. And we took it to an extreme that was above and beyond necessary. And I told him that his father was wrong. And it was the first time anybody ever told him that. And he saw it and he realized that I was right. He was like, whoa, it doesn't work for me. It's never worked for me. And technically it is wrong. And he cried, half the room cried, and we made a shift in that man's life. Because I'm able to sit in there because I sat in his seat 20 years ago where I thought the hitting, you hit me, I'm hitting you back. Man, woman, a child, knocking your block off. That's what my mother told me. If you man enough to hit me, you man enough to get your hand hit back. Wrong. That unlearning process. That is powerful, though, because especially in our community, like, I just vividly remember my mama telling me that. Like, somebody hits you, you bust their ass. And if you don't bust their ass, when you get home, I'm going to bust your ass. Mm. Damn, this just, you just bust my head, man. Like, because... With Academy of Hope, like it's like you want to look at it and think, like, okay, this is a nonprofit, but no, it's not really just a nonprofit. You really helping these people transform, like through that same process that you went through mentally all those years ago. I come back. The Academy of Hope is I show you in real time how to actually apply your information and knowledge and help people, help yourself, help your community, make money. We don't have to. It's all this. You have to be poor stuff. I go to church. I don't see any pastors not driving a Bentley or, or Benz. Mm. <laughs> they don't subscribe to being poor. Businessmen don't subscribe to being poor. Church leaders don't subscribe to being poor. So why are we subscribing to being poor? Mm. Us as black people, man. I've I said it one time. I said it a million times. We got to stop associating being black with lack. Yeah. So for folks who now the program Academy of Hope has the capacity to help people change. And I do that, you know what I'm saying? And I help people change. I could be off doing a hundred other things and other, I got two billion dollar companies like Dre, help me. So why am I in prison doing prison work? Because that's our people. And the fact that they know the places, now I bring these people, these billionaires and multi-millionaires, I bring them to the prison and they talk to them in real time. Nobody's ever brought billionaires and millionaires to the prison and sit down and talk to people. Mm. I'm saying, I do that. I'm saying, I'm like, yo, this is, this is my people. Come on, you got to come meet them. I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. I'm sure there's somebody else from Akron, Ohio that can play basketball. 
LeBron wasn't the only one. I'm saying there's somebody else from Lower Marion that can play basketball. Kobe wasn't the only one. There are other great people who are still, I'm saying, messed up because people won't come back. They get out, they get free, and they take off. Come on, you got to come back. You got to come back, man. If you ain't opening the door for somebody else, you ain't shit. Mm. And I think that kind of takes us back, takes us to the next section I want to talk on, my brother. And that's that networking part that we talked about off camera. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very, very important is, like you said, they're not coming back. They're not building these networks. You're bringing these millionaires and billionaires into the prison system and showing them, hey, this is the work that I'm doing. This is the work that actually matters. But I want to speak on, like, how do you nurture these type of relationships to where you can make them comfortable to say, okay, let's go visit this prison. Let's go see what it's like to actually have this type of impact. I do a whole training. It's called staying in the room. Mm. So many people can get in the room by whatever means. Staying in the room is a whole other thing. I've watched countless people kicked out of the room because they move wrong. They don't know how to move correctly. They get in the room, they make bad mistakes, they get put out. So you have to get in the room and then stay in the room. Like right now, Kyrie Irving's on the verge of getting put out of the room. That's a fact. Dennis Rotman, three-time NBA champion in a row, got put out of the room. How you go from three back-to-back, -back, three titles in a row, and you can't get a job? No way. Carmelo got put out of the room. Telling me Carmelo's not even in the top 300 players in the NBA a year and a half ago? He got in a room, didn't mess with the people, they put his ass out the room. Then he had to go humble up and come back. Love Carmelo. Love Dennis Rodman. Love AI. But they all got put out of the room. Mm -hmm. Because they didn't know how to move. When your talent doesn't oversee your problems, they'll put you out. Mm. So my thing is, when you meet people, whether they're millionaires, billionaires, or regular folks, you have to establish trust first. Don't always think business, 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 business. You're saying nobody's doing business with a stranger. You have to establish trust because if I'm this multi-million, why am I taking a chance on you? So you need to come in and in the time and the spaces that we're together, establish that you're a trustworthy person. And remember this, life gives to the giver, not the ass kisser. Mm. Hold on, hold on, my brother. Message. Life gives to the giver, not the ass kisser. Mm. Give sincerity, give from your heart, give and mean it and everybody's always looking at you and when you pop up and then they say okay well why should i rock with you so would you want me to mentor you i i, I do business across seven countries and seven states and whatever would you want me to mentor you say yeah and i had a situation in charlotte i spoke at a high school all these kids in the auditorium black kids and one kid came out the stands he just ran out the stands crying you are me my life and your life is exactly my mom, dad, sister, brother, exact word for word. He said, you have to mentor me. God sent you here to mentor me. You're it. I'll do whatever you say. I said, okay, I got one question. He said, what? So you're seeing senior? He said, yeah. I said, who are you mentoring? He said, what do you mean? So I'm not mentoring anybody. I said, it's juniors, freshmen, and sophomores, and you're not helping none of these kids mentoring? He said, no. I said, then get out of my face. Mm. You can't sell me. Dude, if you ain't helping nobody, don't ask me to help you. Mm. But I'm, 
kick rocks because you're already telling me it's about you. Your lifestyle is telling me it's only about you. So whatever I do for you is going to stay with you. You ain't trying to pass it on. You're going to be one of them dudes who make it and forget about everybody. Because there's people here right now that you can help in your capacity right now and you're not. Help in the space that you can. Then when you elevate, you continue to help in the space that you can. If you're not helping in the space that you can now, you're not going to later. Hey, some gems, man. The real gems. Like when it comes to, that's not even just like networking. That's real. Yeah, just like life. Yeah. yeah. People see me and they see the work that I do. And they see that I'm, I'm about giving. I help. Cameras on, cameras off. If you're the cool guy, you're the big guy, you're the whatever guy, I help people. That's my primary goal. What is your primary goal? Is it making money? Is it being famous? Is it being seen? Or is it help? My prime, I wake up every day. What can I do to be helpful? Mm. I could have said, yo, these dudes don't want this podcast. I ain't got time for this. <laughs> I'm doing a podcast with these dudes I don't even know on a Saturday. You know what I'm saying? They ain't got no big following. I should be shooting for Joe Rogan. I can get Joe Rogan through two phone calls right now. I can get this one, that one on a phone call. Why am I doing a podcast for these four black dudes? I don't even know. I don't ask those questions. Yo, Dre, somebody wants you on their podcast. I don't ask, I don't, I don't have any vetting system. Mm-hmm. What is their viewership? How many people do they touch? Who do they know? What's their platform? Nah, you call me, I answer my call. People hit me up on IG. Craziest thing, I call them back. They would hit me on the social. When Social Proof first came out, mm-hmm. people sending me IGs. I was hitting them up, calling them. Like, yo, give me a number. They're like, yo, it's him. It's him. He's really on the phone. Dude, that's that whole mythical social media giant shit. Mm-hmm. I'm on social media, but I ain't nobody's giant. I live on a regular street in a regular house. My bathroom don't work any different than yours. Mm. So my thing is, I call people. Yo, people hit me up. Boom, I call them. Yo, what's up? How you doing? Yo, you really call? What? I, shit, I can say hi to somebody. You start talking crazy, I hang up on you. <laughs> shit, I don't block people. I tell you to stop calling my damn phone. What you want? <laughs> I ain't got no blocking people stuff. You call me, you hit me up. Anybody's ever hit me on IG has gotten a message back from me. Not from no nobody else. Yeah. No robots. Now it, it might get to the point where that's not possible. Mm-hmm. But for right now, I, everybody who hit me up who saw the social proof podcast on IG, I hit them back. If you hit me on Facebook, you probably didn't hear from me because I don't want Facebook that much. Yeah, same. Same, my brother. I hit people. I, it was a group of dudes out of New York. I, you can FaceTime people on IG now. So I face, they're like, yo, it's really here. I'm like, yo, I'm not special. The specialness in me is that we're a collective. Mm. As long as you understand the collective of the people, you saying then you understand why you're special because you're a part of. No one man can rise above the status of his own people. No one man. LeBron James might not get a taxi, he go in the wrong part of town. Barack Obama will get handcuffed and slammed on the floor, he go in the wrong part of town. There's been too many cases of police beat up and shot because they was in the wrong part of town without their uniform on. No one person can rise above the status of their people collectively, which is what allows us to be victimized no matter who we are, and also allows white folks to move forward in spaces and places no matter based on who they are. We couldn't have run into capital like that 300 deep. Nah. I saw that I'd have been there. I'd have been the hell about it there. I'd have been running. Yo, Drake, nah. Once they bridge that, yo, yeah, yeah. Once they hit the barricades, I'm out. Yeah. I'm gone. Never could we have 3,000 deep descended on the Capitol. We came to D.C. last summer and met an army brigade. 
Black Lives Matter, I didn't go personally. Black folks went to DC last summer protesting George Floyd. Police mm. everything. everything. This is what they said about the white people that came to DC. We didn't believe there was a threat. We didn't believe they would do something like that. Because you 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 generally believe people, the best of people that you understand. Mm. So it's not that they don't believe in us, they don't understand us to believe in us. So they trusted their own. If my son was coming to my house, I wouldn't blame. My son said, hey, Dad, I'm coming over. All right, cool. I'm not got a metal detector out front. That's family. But let some three people I don't know tomorrow, they're coming by. I'm putting shit away. <laughs> I'm saying moving stuff out the way. I'm making sure stuff is straight because I don't know you. I don't trust you. I don't have a relationship with you. So what happens is it's not, it's not even racism at one level. It's like they feel comfortable with their own people. They don't feel comfortable with us. So just accept it. I got tons of white friends. The best man at my wedding was a white guy. My number one mentor is an Orthodox Jewish, is an Orthodox Jewish rabbi who's white. I have zero problem with white, but I understand there are just some people who don't have relationships. Mm-hmm. And based on those relationships, they're gonna move on what they think and what they see on TV. Doesn't make it right. Hey. So we have to get to a place of man, white folks don't get us, they don't understand. You tell me what's happening in Bangladesh right now. You tell me what's happening in South Korea right now that you really care. You don't. You could care less about South Korea, Bangladesh, Thailand, Mexico, anything else, but you want us, everybody care about us. Hmm. You don't care about no other entity that's suffering, but you want people to care about us who suffer. Because we only recognize and relate to our own collective. Right. So when you, I say... I respect the Native Americans from this country who really got it bad. The indigenous in Australia who are struggling. The people who are on sides of mountains in Kurdistan who are struggling. The people in Bangladesh and these third world countries who are being sold into prostitution by their parents. I'm saying, so I'm like, I'm not fixing it, but do you care beyond yourselves? Mm. Because your argument is shallow and hollow when it's all about us. Andre, man, you touched on the third world countries. You just made me think about it. Like, were you helping solve problems for people in those places? How has that been for you? Like the, we talked about it off camera, uh, the crisis management part of what you do. Like, how did that, how do you help out in those types of countries in those situations? So, sorry, my hermano. They tell me problem with todo mundo. No se mete aquí en a thousand needles. So, sorry. So, hey, okay, yo voy Guatemala, Honduras, España. Yo necesito ayuda para sanar pobre. Pasando no tener comida. Necesito escuela. Entendiste? Muchos personas mafiosos matan para nada. Porque dice Andrés, tú tienes muchos cosas, muchos amigos grandes. Yo necesito ayuda aquí. So yo voy. Yo no necesito pagar mi nada. Yo que yo trabajo para Dios solamente. Porque yo quiero todo persona viva. Bueno. Look at the Spanish on this dog. I'm not going <laughs> So what happens is. You why he's doing it though, yeah. to let him, let everybody know. You got to be able to speak the language. You got to be able to fit in that environment, get in the room. But stay in that room. If he was just another black nigga off the street, hey, yo, what'd you say? What what does poor K mean? Like, he wouldn't be able to, there's no value there. Mm-hmm. So what happens is, when I start talking, like, what was he doing? I'm global. You know what global means? Multilingual. Either it'd be super rich or multilingual, or both. Mm. So when I go to countries, I'm able to communicate with presidents and prime ministers and people on the ground in their language and help them with their problems. 
And I have used interpreters, but in most cases, I go, I speak myself. I'll teach myself that language. If I'm committed to helping those people, I need to be at least committed to speaking their language. Mm. If I'm not committed to speaking their language, I'm not committed to helping them. Dang. Because you're not trying to understand them. I'm just passing through to get a check. Mm. I'm managing the problem. You can't fix a problem you don't speak the language. Dang. And, man, you just bust your head with that, man. He got me. I'm over here, like, I just keep thinking. Because, like, I, 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 we talked about this whole global piece, and now I kind of want to even go back. I feel bad on it because I want to go back to the, the prison reform thing here. And it's like, damn, that's just getting back centric and not like kind of shrinking the conversation again. But I still, I think I'm going to ask I need people up. on your podcast to think beyond their cities, their mm-hmm. states, their regions, and think global. When I'm in Sweden, the average person speaks five languages mm. because they have to. I'm saying here we can get away with one because we're the central world order space and whatever you want to call it. So if you're in New Orleans, you're in Memphis, you're in Boston, you're in Los Angeles, you're up in San Fran or Seattle or Portland or whatever city you're in, in Detroit, I'm saying you have to stop thinking globally. Now, even if you don't go global, the fact that you're thinking global gives you more range of ideas to bring to the table. Mm. If I'm only thinking about Chicago based on Chicago and what I've seen and seen in Chicago and I'm limited, I'm trying to bring to Chicago what I saw, I'm saying, in Spain or what I've witnessed in Sweden. So I'm bringing a global approach to a local problem. Mm. I'm saying, so you have to broaden your thinking and your horizons to be able to bring forth the best case scenarios and solutions to the problems. If all your solutions are based on four square blocks of living, then your solutions are limited. Mm, thinking inside the box. You're thinking about four square blocks. A lot of us grew up in four square city blocks. That's all we know. So how are you going to solve a global problem if you've never been outside of four city blocks? So you have to, I've been to a lot of these countries. I've sat with these people. I've been to the markets. I've gone out and I said, okay, I'm just looking. Nature never lies. Nature never lies. Study nature. Books are great. Nature never lies. Mm-hmm. Nature works. And that, and whatever you call your God, whatever you consider God to be, nature was his creation or their creation, and it never lies. And it'll lie all day long. Nature will tell you how things work. Animals and fish and dogs and cats and coyotes and mus- all nature never lies. And can you kind of just break that down a little bit more for what you mean by that? I wanted to learn systems on how things connect. I watch rivers. Mm. I watch how rivers work. I want to think how things work in different habitats. I look at animals. I'm saying how they get along or don't get along, how they do the hierarchy, how they do their systems. I'm saying I look at when something's out of balance. I'm saying there'll be a tidal wave or something happens. I'm saying, and it's not even a tidal wave. We call it a tidal wave because it's an inconvenience for us. An inconvenience for us, weather-wise, is something wrong. We're in its way. Hmm. It's not in our way. You see, it's, it's just going through its cycle. It's going through a cycle. We've cre- New Orleans created a situation that defies nature. We just talked we about, talk this, about this, like, this shit all the time. Literally, you created a scenario that defies nature. You stop the natural flow of water, but for how long? That's the million-dollar question. You know what I'm saying so, you have to put up a lot of money to get the Hoover Dam to work. <laughs> You're stopping and controlling nature. 
And there's a result of that. So I watch how birds move. I watch how fish moves. I used to watch how the, some fish used to swim upstream and die just to rebirth. I mean, I just, because uh, I never could trust people. My parents didn't always tell me the truth. My neighbors didn't tell me the truth. My teachers didn't tell me the truth. But National Geographic never lied to me. Hmm. I could, I could, that was just honest. That was honest. There was no cut in that. I could watch National Geographic all day and never be lied to. Man. And to me- That's, that's a major piece when it comes to, to systems, you, with observing nature. I ain't never thought of it like that. Cause nature is a system. I used to sit on the prison yard and look at the clouds and say, those clouds fly over free people. They're not just for me. That bird on the side of the wall flies in the free people. I'm saying a little cat running across the yard, they get out to freedom. I convinced myself that I was in this sub world when I wasn't. Hmm. You know the distance between a prison yard and a parking lot? Two minute walk, one minute walk. When I went home, that was the most shocking thing. I walked from the prison yard to the parking lot, it took me about a minute. I walked down a little hallway, 100 yards, out the door. You were that close to freedom. Oh, never, never realized it. Damn. The whole time you're inside, you see the 40 foot wall, you see the razor wire and the guard towers, and you think freedom is miles away, 100 yards. Hey. It's psychological. They convince you in your mind that it is, and it's all this big construct, and you start feeding and believing into it. Hey. Hey. You still got this head messed up. Yeah, some real drill talk, man. Like, then it killed me, man. Three kilos. Tu sabes, you never know un poco de paso. Tu sabes, tu pensas tu mucho ahora, tu un poco duele allá. Hey, man, you know what I'm glad we had this conversation with you because it really is a necessary thing. Thinking bigger, I think our community needs that message altogether. Like just thinking larger, thinking more global, as you were saying. Even something that you just made me think about it. Even with the issues of us being black in America, why do they feel this way? Because they feel like we're not adding value to anything, right? We're not looking larger than us. Designed to add value. We were designed to add value. We weren't designed to think. Mm. Who designed mm. to add value based on orders? Slaves were brought here and they were dictated what to do, when to do it, how to do it, all the rest of that. I'm saying now when slavery ended, now okay, what do we do with these people? Became the came the next thing. What do we do with them? Well, we still need them for manual labor. But now we're in a time and age we no longer need the black man to do manual labor. So now the question is, do we want to embrace them as full citizens? It was in our life, in my lifetime. We weren't allowed to vote. In my lifetime, we weren't allowed to live certain places. In my lifetime, you could hang a black man just because. In our lifetime, we watched Rodney King beat to a pulp and they said it was because he was feeding. In our lifetime, we see the treatment we receive because mm -hmm. there's never been a collective discussion around what do we do with black people? We just assume that, okay, well, we've given them the rights, we've given them the laws, they're all in now. No, it's deeper than passing a law. Is deeper than you saying, just saying, okay, well, you're on the books by force or by proxy. I'm saying, do you really want these people on the books? And if not, why? Let's be honest. I'm saying there's some people who don't want us on the books. We have the voter suppression. You can't vote if you steal a car in Florida and go to jail and come home. You can never vote again. What does stealing a car got to do with voting? Not a damn thing. Yes, it does. 
how do we find a way to disenfranchise you? Mm. There's several states that if you commit a crime, they take your voting rights away. Right. What's essential to the core of this democracy? The ability to vote. The whole last election, what was it beefing about? The, the tally of the votes. Now, I remember just by proxy in my lifetime when George Bush now goes beefing and Jed Bush was down in Florida and it ended up that his brother won. You know what I'm saying? Al Gore took it on the chin. There was questions and comments of, but for years, for decades, there's been systems put in place to stop black folks from voting. Mm. Ever since the end of slavery, yeah, like they said, uh, the 13th Amendment. <laughs> they try to take the vote. Because the way that the Constitution is written, if you ever get to legitimately this one man, one vote thing and black folks stop voting in masses, as you saw in the last election, we become the swing vote. Mm -hmm. The decision between Biden and Trump came down to black people. Black people decided that election. I can believe it. That Atlanta, black the people. Numbers and votes. Detroit, black people. Philly, black people. Every major city, go back and look where it swung. It was all based on black votes. Mm. Got to recognize that collective power, man, is again, man. Now you, understand, you need to understand the value of. They don't understand the value of the vote mm. because our leadership is so screwed up. I'm saying whether it's Al Shopton or these bastards or these other folks, the mission of the leaders aren't to make the people better. The missions of the leaders are to make themselves better. So every big church I see, the first thing I look for is how many of your relatives work for you? And if your son has a job here making 80,000 a year and he's dumb as rocks, is that because he's your son or you believe in the gospel? Is this the family business or just Christ's church? Mm. That's one thing I can say about the Catholic church is they don't hire their own like that. You have to like be part of the, the hierarchy to be in that space. But black churches, we hire our own people. It's a family business. So you give all your tithes and offering. I hire all my family and I go buy a Bentley and you just like, it is what it is. This is a trick to hit you with. I sell books and tapes and I do stuff. But you do that based on the premise of your gospel teaching. So you want to separate out gospel income from money generated based on you being a gospel person. That's all I wanted to say. LeBron James is only doing Sprite commercials because he plays basketball. Mm. When's the last time you've seen Dennis Robin in a commercial? When's the last time you've seen Allen Iverson in a commercial? When's the last time you've seen J.R. Ryder in a commercial? When's the last time you've seen Patrick Ewan in a commercial? When you come off the court, it's done. Quit. You're over with. You know what I'm saying? So when you're on the court, your commercials. Off the court, it's done. So you get your commercials based on being an athlete. If you're making your income, like Gronk didn't spend any of his game checks, he used his commercial checks. So all these pastors are making money based on being the, the spiritual leader. They say, well, that money has nothing to do with the rest of it. They create an LLC to run their business, their book sales through, and call it non-gospel. Even though everything you're selling is based on what you're doing in the church. Now, mm -hmm. if you were the pastor of a church, you got a car wash, I, that's cool. Pastor church, you got a clothing store, grocery store, that's cool. You're the pastor of the church, you sell books on gospel and leadership? Come on, man. You're splitting heads. Mm. Are you really helping? Are you really serving? Mm. And listen, when I see people with million dollar mansions and fleets of cars and private jets, not about the service. It's about you first, them second. And I'm okay with that to say that. 
Mm. I'm not mad at you for it. If that's your hustle, knock it down. Just be honest with it. Yeah, just be true about it. I want to lay a jet because I want to lay a jet, not because God told me to. God wants me to find a lay a jet. Yeah, really? Or did you want that? Yeah, real talk. Hey, listen, I want my lay a jet. And if y'all want to contribute money to my lay a jet, I'm with that. (laughs) We call poverty pimps. And it's acceptable. Mm. White folks go for that on 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 tip two. On a they don't poverty pimp them, but like the gospel has been stretched out thin. It's a business now for a lot of people. I could yeah, I can see it. Man, that's why all these mega churches and stuff pop up like that though. Like sometimes it's not about like how many lives I'm saving; it's how many people can I get into this door. I think it all just this whole conversation. It all come back to that thing you said at, at the, the very, very beginning, beginning when it comes to anybody. And not this, not just gospel business. Anything you're doing in life, the guy in post every day should be how am I helping? What can I do to be helpful? Yeah, mm. what can I do to be helpful today? Mm. Does that mean I'm going to take all my money out of my closet, go throw it in the street? No, that's not being helpful. That's being stupid. Mm. But I can legitimately show you my calendar how I spend time to be helpful. It's not a side product. It's not a prerequisite. So when y'all wanted to sign me to do this podcast, how much hassle was it? None at all, None, my brother. Yeah. Then when I thought it, I called you like, oh my God, there's a problem with the link. I, I'm hitting you up. I hit you up as my secretary's off for the weekend. I hit the link to test it at two, I mean, an hour before and it wasn't working. I'm like, yo man, I sent two minutes. Somebody need to call me. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, we appreciate that too, because we made sure like, well, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> Here's my cell number. Somebody need to call me. Nah, bro, they messed it up. The link didn't work. Not my fault. Blame it on them. No, I got There's two things you can do. You can find a way to make something work. You can find a way to make something not work. Mm-hmm. My goal is to find a way to make things work. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. It's definitely true, because, like, I, when I called you, you were very patient with it and everything. It's, like, not mad at all. Just, hey, this link not working. You know, can you resend it to me? And I'll just keep you on the phone for a second while you get it. And I resend it to you, and it worked, and you was just like, cool, boom. See you in a minute. I told you I'll get on early just in case. Yep. Hey, we and I'll call you if need be. <laughs> hey. I mean, there's no, you don't treat people differently based on where you think they're going to be or where you think they are. People are people. We're all human. We're all equal. Now, some people are struggling. Some people need different types of help. But everybody deserves to be respected. If you can't respect, respect people, then there's a problem with you. You want to make money? I can teach you how to make money. You want to start a program? I can teach you how to start a program. You want to do all this different stuff? It's not hard. But it, start, it goes back to who are you? Mm. I'm black. I'm a criminal. I'm a gang member. I'm violent. I'm a bully. I'm, oh, I made a list of who I was and said, what do I want to be? And said, does this person fit in this box? Is if you think you're going to show up and be around me for any amount of time, not going to see who you are inside, you're crazy. Think you can hide it with that nice shirt or dress or whatever, or the bag or the briefcase or the bullshit. If you're around me any length of time, I want to see through you. Mm. 
Because in prison, I was designed to see through people's objectives and plots. That's why I'm breathing. Watch this. See that? I'm a professional breather. <laughs> There's a lot of rookies that ain't here no more. There's a lot of people ain't breathing because they don't know what they was doing. They was doing it by chance. I breathe with intent. Ooh, that's a bar. So my if you want to come around me and learn this stuff, you ain't got to be perfect, but you got to be honest. Mm-hmm. If you think I'm not going to see your faults and the rest of your stuff, you're crazy. It's going to come out. It's going to come out. And I'll help you fix it, but do you want to fix it? Or you just want the money? Mm. I watched the Temptations movie, and they got all that money, and they went crazy. Money will manifest that in which you are times 20. So I got money, and I'm still the same guy. I have access to some of the top people on the planet. I'm still the same guy. I was in um, Virginia. I called my people in D.C., said I'm close by. So I went to D.C., and I met with them. I'm in D.C. I called my people in Delaware, said I'm close by. But they was like, I said, well, come here. And they said, oh, we're not in town right now. We out of town. They said, is there something I can do for you? I said, I want to meet the president-elect. They were like, no problem. Because they've been friends for 30 years. So I got a meeting coming with um, president-elect, soon to be President Joe Biden. So now here we go. I got the meeting. This is the dream meeting. You get to meet the president and leader of the free world. I met with leaders before. What are you asking for? I want each of you to tell me I put you in the room instead of me. What do you ask for? Hmm. We ask, what I got to ask Joe Biden? No, no, not what will you ask him? What do you ask for? Oh. Black people, what do I want to ask him? That's the black. <laughs> what do you want to ask him is irrelevant. That's just nothing. That's going to fade away. What's your favorite dish? Who cares? What are you going to, there's a difference between what are you going to ask him and what are you going to ask for? Hmm. What are you going to ask for? That's Putting in the room with the president of the United States. We don't know because we don't have a collective no, idea. You're in the chat. I see one person with them headphones on. Stop stop making him your Cody friend. What are you gonna ask for? Hmm. Those are I statements. Hmm. Let's say you don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know I'm what I would don't give me the story. Just give me the answer. Yeah, I don't know what I would ask Joe Biden for currently because I, I I've never gave thought to that. And that's and, and when you end up in the room, why are you gonna walk out with nothing? Mm. My mother told me when I was a kid, okay, Mister Big Mouth, because I had a big mouth as a kid too. She said one day they're gonna come get you. They're gonna bring you to that place. They're gonna put you in the room. They're gonna ask you how to fix the problem and what do you do to make this better. And when you don't have the answer, they're going to say, look, this is one of yours. Yeah, us, right? Black Wolf Resistance. This is them. We went and got the Black Wolf people from Dallas and from New Orleans. We brought them up. We gave them the chance to say, what do we do to fix Black America? They ain't have nothing to say. So since they ain't got nothing to say, we're going to just discredit all of you, and we're going to take it from here. We came and got legitimate on-the-ground Black people and gave you a voice, and you weren't ready for your voice. So you've discredited yourself. So don't come back and check the next president. Check the next situation. Check the next funder. Check the next mayor. Check the next governor. Because we gave you a chance and you weren't ready. Give me stuff to think, man, for real, my brother. You always have to be ready to be that voice. You want to come on social media and be the voice? Are you really ready to be the voice? Are you thinking local? This is a global conversation again. 
are you thinking local podcast? If they say, hey, Biden, we saw this podcast, these two, four black guys down, but they're great. They fly you to DC and say, hey, fellas, we see that you're doing economics for black community. What do we do? Mm. Are you playing or are you pushing an agenda? I'm pushing an agenda. I ain't playing. So I prepare for those meetings. I'm prepared to sit in a room with a CEO of a $5 billion company. I'm prepared to sit in a room with somebody who runs a prison system. I'm prepared to sit in a room with somebody who does drug dealing. I'm prepared to sit in a room with, I'm saying, Planned Parenthood. I'm prepared to sit in a room with many rooms. I dare you to call me. Call me superintendent of schools. Call me superintendent of prisons. Call me superintendent of anything. Call Andre Norman. You're going to be shocked. I'm ready. And I'm not coming in with some limited, narrow thought process. I have a global approach. I'm going to tell you what's worked around the world, around our nation, what's going to make it better right here on the ground. So I'm sitting looking at you, and I'm saying, okay, here's your opportunity. Not prepared. Hmm. And not because it's not available. You just chose not to. Man. So how serious are you taking your own podcast? And you got that's you got me thinking about like a lot right now, my brother, like the the impact that we could be having versus because right now i'll be honest with you we here to create a conversation like we wanted to go to this podcast we came here to open up the conversation around wealth and our people because where we were in our spaces we didn't have people around us who were on this information who were trying to learn more who were trying to progress and we're not all the way into our journeys all the way we still building out our business we still in here like learning everything ourselves. We got started two years ago. And now you got me thinking even on a deeper tip, like where is the ultimate impact? Where can we help people more? And I appreciate you for the conversation. Part answers, right? See, what does it say? Andre Norman, say London, KPMG, and then I can't see the last one. It says- Negative education. No, KPMG is the second largest accounting firm in the world. London Business School Executive Education Department is one of the top trainers in the world. Mm. They make probably like 50 billion a year. Are you ready to walk in that room? Talk finances? Get ready. Education up right now. That's that's get ready, to, get ready to get out the way. Yeah. Yeah, I'm about to. Yeah. yeah that's that. that you, you this, if anything, my brother, this confirmation on what I preparation. I literally, like, I was yesterday, I was sitting there like, man, I got to learn more on the different level with this because we never. One thing with us, with this platform, we never had extensive careers in the finance department. Neither have I. I got a GD from prison. What are you talking about? Like, we got to just learn more. That's what I'm saying. You got to learn more. I believe you. I got a GD from prison. What are you talking about? I don't have any formal training in... I definitely, I think there's a lot to what you're saying, and I do agree with it. Like, it's, it's definitely like we have to take things from a more global approach and from a more prepared approach like i like what you were saying as far as like i'm prepared for those conversations no matter what they may be no matter what boardroom i may end up in i'm already ready for that conversation and i think that's something that a lot of people even listening to the conversation could benefit from is thinking about even going forward with your goals like okay if i'm headed in this direction what happens when i get there what happens when i'm when i'm called up and now it's time for me to be that person that has to be the voice because like you did kind of catch us off guard, which I've never thought about if a Biden or if a somebody like that were to call us up and be like, hey, 
what do we need to do to help fix the situation with black people? It's like after thinking about it, yeah, you know, we could probably, you know, come up with something as far as a curriculum, a few different issues that we know we feel like are big in the community, but it's like on spot, boom, you wouldn't have that solution. And that's very important to, to have those like solutions and those thought processes already planned out before you end up in those situations, if that's your goal and if that's the objective you're moving towards. Definitely. I spent hours preparing for that conversation. Now, it doesn't matter who the president is at one level, or it does, but it doesn't, or who the CEO is, or who the director of the nonprofit is, or who the pastor of the church is. Do you understand your information? Do you understand their situation and how to merge it to and get a win? What does a win look like? So I'll ask you, what does a win look like for Blacks and economics in America? A win. a win for us in Black economic America. We're not the largest. No, 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 no. See, you're going the wrong way. What's your middle name? My middle name? Yeah. Deshaun. See how easy that was? Give me the win for Black people in America around economics. Black people. Owning more businesses. Not. The average net worth being, being higher than $8,000. Hey, stop right there. That's okay. Higher net worth than $8,000. Okay, bang. Everybody's worth $9,500. That's what you asked nah, for. Nah, nah. That's what you asked for. I, That's what you asked for. A higher net worth than $8,000. Boom. Everybody's at nine five. Are you happy? Is that what you really wanted? No. No. But that's what you asked for. $8,200. Boom. I gave you what you wanted. Are you happy? That's not what you want. You have to be really clear on what you're saying because it's not a game. It's not, oh yeah, we just want a higher net income. Okay, 8,200, everybody got a higher net income. It's not what you want. If Pretty you want anybody at 250,000, say 250. When anybody at 75, say 75. Don't just say higher, because now you just put the power in the hands of the person that you're dealing with. They give you exactly what you wanted. Now you gotta go explain to all the rest of the black people in the world why they only had 8,200. They know what you're gonna say? That's what they asked for. Game was exactly what they asked for. That's what they asked for. Right. Hold the tape. Look, that's what they asked for. I gave it to them. Go see your people. Man. You have to be specific, clear, and have an understanding that the other person is not necessarily against you, but they're not working for you. So when LeBron James goes in negotiations with the Lakers, they both want to be there, but they LeBron wants more, they want to pay less, so they got to hit that medium. So if he just says, just pay me more, they gave him $2 more than when he got last year, they're good. You have to give them specific numbers and whys. You have to have measurables and outcomes and whys. So when you go into a room and you're going to advocate for black folks, don't tell us what we is not working. The question is not, it's not working. We need more business ownership. No, we don't need more business ownership. What does that mean? Mm. We need more business training. We need better school systems that's going to produce better people that can go into business. So if your core of the reason people don't own businesses is not fixed, then you never get to develop more business people. So we need a better curriculum from, from K to eight, from K to 12 that's going to produce better people that will produce what he's asking for. Always go big, never go small. Make them make it smaller. I'm going to revamp education from K1 to, to 12. My brother, I appreciate you. I just want you to know that. Yeah, I'm about to. I'm... Everybody across the board and it'll get you what you want. And when you, when you ask me something, the K to 12 will get you what you want, but it also helps people outside of that space. So be inclusive whenever you can. So when I go into a room and I negotiate, I'm a, I, you were talking about Chris Voss earlier. Chris Voss is a personal friend. We met and got along great. 
because we're both master negotiators. So he did it for the FBI. I did it in the penitentiary, but it was negotiation nonetheless. Mm-hmm. When we got in the same space. He's a 20-year FBI guy. I'm a 20-year criminal, but we both thought literally in the same space and the same methodology. Man. Hey, Andre, my man. Bro, this has been a very yeah. great and insightful podcast. And I just want to say thank you for asking us these questions because this is going to make us better prepared. Exactly. For next time, this question is asked. Always be ready. When I walk into a room because I won't wear a suit and I got a closet full of Tim's and Vapor Maxes, oh, he got lucky. Or this is my favorite one. People will see me because I'm older, I'm not in shape anymore, and I don't care. I might shave, I might not shave. They think, well, I'm smarter than him. I'm more in shape than him. I'm cooler than him. I'm whatever than him. And if they love him, wait till they meet me. They're going to drop him and go with me. That's what they be thinking. And they were like, just let me get in the room. I'm going to go, wow, look at me. I'm 10 times better than Dre. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Michael Jordan was never six, it was, never, it was never seven feet tall. Mm-hmm. AI was never going to be seven feet tall. You know what I'm saying? Kobe was never going to be seven feet tall. It's not how tall you are, it's how tall you stand. And people get that confused because you're taller than me, don't mean nothing. You know what I'm saying? Because you got a nicer shirt, don't mean nothing. Where's the character? Where's the morality? Where's the value? Where's the collaboration? Where's the understanding? Where's the giver in you? When you go to a meeting, think you're going to outshine somebody. That's not giving, that's taking. And that is transparent to other people that you're just a taker. You're trying to take his shine and outshine him instead of shining with him and then branching off. I celebrate people when they graduate from my company and go on to something else. I did an interview this morning. I told a lady, I said, listen, you're not going to work for me forever. If you get a better opportunity, a better situation, and you won't take it, I'll fire you. Damn. That's real. <laughs> I'm going to make you take it. And then if it don't work out, then come back. But if you want to be in these rooms that I'm in, you want to be in these conversations that I'm in, you have to be a giver. It can't be selfishness. Mm. It can't be me first. Because that is so transparent. It's going to appear sooner or later. At some point, the opportunity is going to come up where it's about you or the money, and it's about the people or you, and you're going to take you. Mm. And once you do it, then you're exposed. I mean, come on. I'm not in the bash of nobody. We have a ton of black leaders we don't respect because we see that they're about themselves. Now, don't be that in reverse because you didn't put forth the effort to be knowledgeable enough or insightful enough or prepared enough to represent us. If you want to represent us, prepare. What do you specialize in? What do you, what are you really crushing it in? Y'all do wealth, y'all do wealth, right? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna ask you, what is your cutting edge idea that revolutionized black wealth in America? Do you have one written out, planned, drafted? Nope. So my next question is, are you cutting edge or status quo? Mm. Man, well, really, can we have a, a conversation? I have the answer. Are you cutting edge or status quo? At this point, I'm, no. I don't want the story. We, we, ain't, we ain't cutting edge. No, we status quo. No, no, you keep answering the question no. first. Are you cutting edge or status quo? Is the question not what are you not? What are you? Status quo. That's one. I got two more people. That on is status quo. Sounds horrible, doesn't it? You didn't want to tell yourself the truth. Now ask me why I sat in prison and was out running down that fantasy world. Ask me why so many people are stuck in dead end jobs because they won't tell themselves what's clearly, obviously the truth. 
you tried everything in your might not to say that your status quo, even though you clearly said, I don't have a cutting edge idea. Accepting the reality is not a bad thing. Now that you've accepted it, now you can change it. But if you never embrace it and accept it, you'll never change it. You keep telling yourself, well, I'm, I'm the shit. I'm status quo. I'm cutting edge. I'm all the way out there. No, you're not. Because you don't have a defined idea that is deemed cutting edge. So that makes you status quo, which makes your feelings hurt. And that hurt feeling will propel you into hopefully trying to get cutting edge. Mm. But until you admit it, you never try to fix it. Which means you stay average forever. Mm. I admit what I don't do well. I admit what I suck at. I admit what I fail at. And I fix it. Oh, it's okay. I'm cool with that. No, I'm not. Yo, Dre, I'm status quo. And I hate the sound of it. Mm. And I never want to have to say that again in public. So what I do, I go to the lab. I hit them whiteboards. I got to get this done. I can't have nobody ask me from status quo again. Oh, no. Not in the area I specialize in. Prison reform? Cutting edge. Motivational speaking? Cutting edge. Gang outreach? Cutting edge. Strategic planning? Cutting edge. Business development? Cutting edge. And I can verify it 10 times over. Asking about a t-shirt company. I ain't nowhere. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I took me forever to get these t-shirts made. I suck at t-shirt companies. I know, I know something, and I will forever suck at being a t-shirt company guy. It's not my goal. But mm -hmm. the areas I specialize in, Good I man. crush you. And that's what I will crush you. Would you really want to go to a meeting and be on the other side of the table for me negotiating for something? And no. Giving money? No. Nah, my brother. I, I'll be honest, <laughs> no. I see people, I tell them, I say, listen, you might walk in the room, and I'll be working for your counterpart, for the person you're going against. And I used to walk in the rooms and crush people. They came in thinking that they understood and they knew when they had it all figured out. They come and I would crush. This is how I made $25 million. I crushed my opponents. There was no option but to give me the money. So if we were going for money in the black space right now, I guess who'd walk away from it? Walk away with it. Not y'all. Nah, not at all. I made you admit to the funder that y'all are just average. And I'd be like, yo, I'm the shit. They'd be like, give Dre the money. Write the check to Dre in there. And the next group will come in and they will be unprepared. I would crush them. They'd be like, give Dre them the check. Great team, check. Other team, back to the drawing board. Then y'all would leave and not want to admit that you got crushed and tell the truth why, and then you, rep you repeat it again. Mm. I've crushed people several I, I, times I, I, over and over. Thing, I'm going to the motherfucking lab, my brother. That's, yeah, like, that's yeah. all you got a nigga feeling like right now. I am not going to lie. <laughs> like, cause like, this is motivation. I, I'm telling you, it's no bullshit, bro. Like, Two, three days ago, I'm just like, same thought in my head. Like, man, I need to know more. If anything, that's all it is that you just gave confirmation on. Dude, this is so unfair. Mm -hmm. This makes the world so unfair. You can look up whatever you want to look up and study. YouTube University is real. There's so many people, so many free courses is real. So many podcasts available is real. If you don't know something, it's because you're lazy. I know homeless people that got cell phones. You can even look up where they got free dinners or you can look up how to invest in stocks. You look up what you want to look up. Mm -hmm. And my son, he does investment. He does Forex trading, a bunch of stuff. He called me the other day and he literally said, dad, I need more money. <laughs> he was like, I want to buy stuff that I want to buy slash frivolous stuff. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a chain, a hat, a coat, a jacket or whatever. It's stuff that he wanted to buy that me and his mom ain't going to buy for him. He called me and says, Dad, 
I want disposable money to buy the things that I want to buy. These are the two books I sent him. This is called The Membership Economy. This one's called Who Not How. I just got told about this book. I just got told about that one. And this is one, The Road Less Stupid. He's already read this one. So these are the books my 15-year-old are reading right now around how to build wealth. These are the baseline. If you asked you what Amazon was, what would you tell me? The everything store? No. It's a shipping company. You have heard of Amazon Prime? Yep. You pay $100 a year. There's 120 million people who pay that. That's 1.2 billion people who pay for just the shipping component of Amazon. Mm-hmm. 1.2 billion people, 1.2 billion dollars a year for shipping. Mm-hmm. Paid up front. They're a shipping company. Then they sell you stuff on the back end. Mm. And that's what the that's kind of what the membership economy one is about. Membership uh, economy will teach you how to set up subscriptions, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, all these things are memberships. Mm-hmm. Apple Play, Spotify. I'm saying um, I can go down the list. They're all memberships. So the membership economy is what that is about. So my 15-year-old is reading this right now. Uh, he wrote it before, but he didn't really pay no attention to it. He read it before. Wrote Less Stupid, one of the best business books to come out in the last 10 years. Hmm. He, you ever heard of Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Yeah. This is Rich Dad. This is who Rich Dad is based on. This is Rich Dad, Poor Dad is based on, Keith Cunningham. That's actually the book that got us uh, started. Rich Dad Poor Dad? Yeah, a couple years ago. That's when we got us. Uh... This is who Rich Dad really is. That book was based on Keith Cunningham's life. Robert Kiyosaki interned and hung around Keith Cunningham for years and watched every move he made. Then he wrote the book Rich Dad Poor Dad based on everything he saw Keith do. Hmm. Facts. Man. Now that's pressure. Robert Kiyosaki, Keith Cunningham, that story might pop up, but I know Keith. Personal friend, great guy, him and his wife, Cindy. So those books are my 15-year-old is reading right now. Hey, added to the list for sure. Yeah. It's not a, yeah. Disposable income. Yeah, you said, hey, one second. The other one, the who one is who, not what? Who, not how. Who, not how. By Ben Hardy and Dan Sullivan. All right, cool. The Genius Net- I work with a place called Genius Network. It's the number one mastermind group in the world. Both of these two are members. Amen. Hey, my brother. I ain't even going to pivot to our last yeah, session. Nah. I just want to say thank you. For... Let's go to the last session. What's on your timeline? We, we don't even need... What's on my timeline is I want a president, whether it's Joe Biden or the next one, to appoint me or governor of any of the 50 states to appoint me the person in charge of fixing the prison system that's under their jurisdiction. Mm. Mm. That's on my timeline. That's my goal for 2021, 22, 25. That's my next big goal. I want a president and or a governor. The president controls the federal system. The governors control the state systems. So I want a president and or a governor. A sheriff can help me run a revamp a jail. So or sheriff, I pick three people, president, governor, or sheriff to appoint me and give me the authority to redesign the entire prison system and make it work. That's that's what's on my timeline. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know what kind of goals y'all got, right? But um, that's a $50 billion project that I'm on that impacts a $275 billion system that affects 
seven out of eight black people. Man, that's real gold. I don't know how many hoodies you want to sell, but I don't want to sell any hoodies. I want to free black people from the slavery of their mind and of the fantasies and of just denial of what's true. When we start telling the truth of what's true, and you're upstanding, well-rounded, good black guy, but you wouldn't tell the truth. Did you see him, Jack? He was stuck on telling the truth. <laughs> it was an innocent thing. It was an obvious truth. I ain't asked you, did you steal something? I ain't asked you, did you mm-hmm. cheat on your girl? I ain't asked you, did you do anything? I asked you a question, you answered it, then the second question was clear. The answer was so clear based on your first answer. Two questions. The first answer gives you your second answer, but you wouldn't say it. You said it every way but to straight up. Mm-hmm. Well, I wouldn't consider myself cutting edge at this time. I didn't ask you that. Well, I'm not sure right now. And you looking around the room like some shit's going to pop out of the sky. Mm-hmm. And they're going to pop in and save you. I'm not cutting edge. Wasn't it? I am status quo. And you add current time or right now to make yourself feel better. I let that ride. I usually I would smash that too. I let you get away with that just in the interest of time. You know what I'm saying? For right now, I wouldn't want to go in a room with you. You ain't never want to go in a room across the table from me. Right now, five years from now, you ain't gonna want to be, you ain't gonna want me on the other side of the table. You gonna walk in and walk out. Like, now nah, we're good. Let's just save ourselves the hassle. We out of here. They got Dre. They got Dre. It's over. Listen, sleep. Hey, man. Like I said once again, appreciate you, my brother. You Motiv- definitely planted a seed in our head, a seed of not just motivation, but a seed of execution that need to be taken. I try to dig up your whole backyard. I don't play fair. <laughs> hey, and that's what's needed, though, man. I, I appreciate that, for real, honestly. What y'all are doing is admirable. What y'all are doing, man, has the ability to go global. What you're doing is beyond needed. And what I can do to be helpful is to show up and be supportive. I'm saying what I can do to be helpful, man, is to validate with my time and my energy and my efforts to let you, anybody know that I believe in you. You're saying if I didn't believe, I wouldn't have got on, I wouldn't have stayed on. You're saying that I believe that what y'all are doing is going to create a movement and impact in our communities. It's going to inspire other people to stand up and go into their spaces, whether it's finances, health, or whatever, education, and they're going to say, no, something, I need to do the thing in my space. And once everybody starts getting out doing the thing in their space, instead of trying to cross over into your space, then we'll be better off and we'll be much further down the line. And we need them to understand that, you know something, we can all be better. And it starts with being a giver, not a taker. Hey, man, that's a bar, man. And I'm going to just wrap it up, man. I just want to say once again, Andre, thank you for coming on. To all our listeners who just listened to this episode, if this is your first one, I hope you really gained something from this. My brother was, yeah, Yeah. my brother was dropping gems. I definitely just want to say, like, be able to look yourself in the mirror and admit who you are, what you are, and put yourself into a box of what you want to become. That's one of the biggest things that I just learned from this podcast. Um, And also just want to say thank you to everybody who listened. Come in week in, week out. Share this. Please just Try to get this to whoever can hear because this is going to be helpful for someone. And y'all are all invited to come to Academy Hope and visit the prison, talk to the guys inside. We might be able to do a podcast live or record it live in the prison. We won't be able to broadcast it live, but we record it in the prison. Hey, let me know what we got to do. I'm there. I'm there. Well, send my admin an email. We'll get you the applications. We're going to be doing virtual because of COVID for the next three or four months. Mm-hmm. But 
once we get, we can do virtual classes. You can do this virtually where we put them in the room, y'all here, and y'all go boom. So if anybody has a training or something they want to do with the prison, we can put you on virtually. But we'd love to have y'all come on virtual and talk to the guys. What we need to do is say, hey, what are you going to teach them? Who are you? And what are you going to teach them? And how many classes do you want to teach? We're going to teach financial understanding and financial literacy. We've got four classes. They're two hours long. Boom, boom. These are three teachers. And we set up and boom. And gotcha. it's done. It's done deal. Yeah, definitely. So shoot me an email. I'll send you out an app. And you can do it from your house. Y'all can all come on just like this. And it's be all my guys at the prison in the room getting knowledge direct. Most definitely. Hey, we appreciate that, my brother. Definitely uh, we have our people send out the email to your admin and yeah, get that popping. Um, prison application. And it's good for in-person and virtual. So we have to do it either way. But once the COVID ends up, we'll fly you on up. You come on up, go inside. Hey, I'm with it, man. I'll definitely... Because that is a mission of mine, just how many people we can help. And uh, you definitely got me. I'm going to work on exactly what I want, not just some, oh, this is exactly what I want to accomplish. You might get what you asked for. There's so many people who are suffering because they asked for something and they got it. Mm. They got exactly what they asked for. Now they're sad. I want that dude with all that money is balling. I want to, you a side chick. <laughs> well, I just want this job, and now you got a job. I'm saying, mm. ask for what you really want and leave room for growth. Mm. The last gem of the pod, man. Message. Hey. hey um, call okay. me pod. Put this one out. If it goes well, we'll come on and we'll do part two. Hey, hey. man. Most definitely. Appreciate you, my brother. Oh, right. yeah. Could you could you plug yourself in? I mean, you're not on the social like that, but could you plug yourself in for the people who want to follow you? And uh, Here we go. I, I've got to tell you, I got a book out. Hey, I got to go cop that. Ambassador I'm of Hope? Ambassador of Hope. I got to go cop that. So it's whatever. But if you want to find me, my Instagram is at Andre Norman. My Facebook is Andre Norman. And my website is AndreNorman.com. The book available on AndreNorman.com? And just go buy it off Amazon. Make it easy for yourself because it's just going to reroute to Amazon anyways. <laughs> Most definitely. Um, appreciate it, my brother. So Facebook, Instagram, my website. If you go to YouTube or Google, put my name in, stuff pops up. Hey, most definitely. Well, look, y'all. Y'all, please go follow my brother Tap In and we'll be back next week. Until next time, this is Black Girlfriend of Science signing out. Peace. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is run money marathon. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.